Welcome to The Blueprint, a podcast for you and your life as a professional. The people I have conversations with don't have to be famous. They have to be making a living doing what they do. My goal is to get you the information you need to make real decisions. Start a career, change a career, get your money right and get a handle on your operations. This is a career day in a box podcast. I am Philip Llanos, and maybe this is the blueprint for you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I have Dr. Kim Cronister on the show, and this is a clinical psychologist who brings gifts. I'm not, and I'm talking about like how to look at your relationships right now. A lot of you might be in the quarantine experiencing a little, a little challenging time with regret or whatever it might be, because you're all in your head. And, and Dr. Kim's here to show you how that might be helpful if you want to look at it from a, from a stance of maybe getting your ex back and how it might not be helpful if you're looking to move forward, but it really depends on where you want to go and what your goals are. Uh, there's also a complete outline of what it may look like to fast track your way into a career in psychology. And that's definitely big. Uh, at the end of the day, she does drop a lot of knowledge bombs that I know you can benefit from in one way or another. It's a very casual conversation with a lot of insights, and it's something that I believe you will enjoy. So throw this on, and without further ado, Dr. Kim Cronster. Dr. Kim Cronister, thank you for joining the show. It's super exciting because, uh, number one, I'm trying to get more women onto the show in general. It needs to happen. Uh, it's a shame that it hasn't happened prior. And, uh, and two, you're also a badass clinical psychologist. Um, it seems like you've even published a book and um, you stay busy on practice. And I think recently you were on Russian TV even. I was. Yeah. It's yeah. so good to be on with you. Yeah, definitely. I do a couple different things, but I try to stay stimulated for sure. Okay. What was the Russian TV thing about? You know what I'm asking? It's just kind of cool. You know, it's so funny. I, I've been on um, TV a few times and I just consider like media, like my hobby. Um, it's something like a creative outlet that I don't always get to be creative with therapy. But um, okay. the first time I was ever on TV was Russian TV. So some people don't know that. But yeah, recently they asked me to be on again, which is hilarious. But, you know, it was newsworthy. It was stimulating. So I didn't mind it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Are, is that your background? Are you, are you, do you speak Russian or is that? <laughs> no, but I'm sure people were like, where is she from? No, I, oh, I don't okay. speak Russian. Okay. No. I mean, my ancestors are from Germany and, and Ireland and England. Okay. Uh, but definitely. Definitely do not speak uh, Russian now. No. Okay. Which no. I did. Um, so, are you, you, okay. So, <laughs> what am I? See, yeah, yeah. No, that would be kind of cool. That would, uh, what is it called? Um, there's a Pimsler. Have you ever heard of Pimsler, the Pimsler method? Yeah. Cool. Great <laughs> language learning. I, that's how I learned. Um, yeah. I already knew how to read and write in Korean, but then I learned Ooh. Pimsler method. Yeah, yeah. I'm not like yeah. advanced or anything, you know, but uh, yeah. I had a bunch of friends and then I just wanted to work on it. And so it helps with the nice. pronunciation. Yeah, um, I know a lot of Spanish just because we're out here in California. And, right, right. Uh huh. Okay, so uh, tell me, how have you? How has your practice changed since the COVID started? Um, you know, I, I like I said, I do a lot of different things. So basically, what's happened is like the clients that have been seeing me for a long time, they were already comfortable with like phone sessions or video sessions. So I got really lucky because, and they're in their twenties, the ones that I've seen for a long time. 
So I got lucky that they were already into the remote thing. And I used to have like therapists ask me like, how do you even do the remote thing? I said, well, if they're not in California, because I'm licensed here, then I'll do life coaching internationally. But if they're here in California, I can obviously do therapy and I can do it by video and phone. So those kind of stayed the same. Like they just, they just kept doing it by phone and video, which is pretty cool once in a while in person. But, um, but the ones, the ones like in Beverly Hills or whatever, they're always traveling and they always want to be on video. So it's like, okay, I'll accommodate you. You know, and it's, so it's pretty been much nothing changed in terms of your own style of practice. You always had the remote situation happening. I was a li- yeah, I was already kind of in that, but I did, I do do psych evaluations in person. And right now I still think it's really uh, more efficacious to do it in person because you really get to read like the entire body language and it's just something so more tangible by being in person with them. So for those evaluations, now I get to go back. So I was off of those for a couple of months. Okay. No, see that that hits a little different because um, uh, to say efficacious, you know, like okay, so now you're, you're kicking you're kicking some uh, some terminology <laughs> around, and that's cool because what I want to know is, did you always want to be a psychologist? You know what, I didn't. Um, but I'll say, like early on, my uh, my dad was a business owner. My mom helped build that business. Um, it was actually a contracting plumbing business. It's still pretty oh. big today, but local. Um, and my dad would not allow me to work in that business. And he just said, you have to go to college, (laughs) which I have different viewpoints on that now too. But, um, he said, you absolutely have to do what you're passionate about. So Mm. my mom was in, was a sociologist, basically. She had a sociology degree. And so when I got into the entertainment industry, I thought I wanted to be in marketing and business. So I was almost done with my business degree when it shifted, actually went on a trip. And I thought, I want to do something more philanthropic, like something that touches people a little deeper. Although now looking back, the entertainment industry, they do inspire people with films. I just didn't have that frame of reference yet. Like I didn't know, I didn't know how the creative arts actually impacted people's lives back then. I thought I had to be like hands-on doing therapy, something like that. But I also didn't want to to, uh, have to deal with the glass ceiling. And I did feel like there was going to be a little bit of that. There's some nepotism in Hollywood. Um, in, 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 in corporations in general. And that's, that's normal. I mean, it happens. It's typical, but I wanted to be able to own my own business and be, um, a little bit more philanthropic, like help others. So that's how I decided to be psychologist. So I shifted when I was almost done with my business degree into psychology and, uh, and never looked back. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. There's, you know, longtime film families like the Barrymore's, uh, for sure. Yeah. And they, uh, and they earn those spots. So I, I get, sure. I get it. I, get, I totally get that. Sure. No, that's cool, though, that it switched over because uh, most people think that their success is supposed to be a linear line, but it really, yeah. it could change at the, It could change tomorrow. Definitely. But it's stimulating to change your careers, too. Like, um, a lot of research studies show, like, people change their careers, like, on typical, like, eight times on average. Um, really? So, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. So, it's not, it's definitely more stimulating to, to be able to do that. But when you're in psychology, you can work different realms. Like, you can work in a rehab one year and then the next year private practice and then the and next year is like primary mental health so you're dealing with schizophrenic yeah. people people with uh, severe mood disorders and as as scary as that might sound it's actually really uh stimulating it's it's very educational and it, it can really really inspire you so just all these different realms you're really never bored as long as you don't stay stagnant and you're always trying to learn some some new kind of niche I mean, yeah, it takes a long time because you're basically on a doctor level. So it does take a lot of school to get to that level, right? To to be a clinical psychologist. I I think I could have been like a career college person. Like, as I seriously, like, I love school. Like, I don't mind it. 
I'm still reading. I'm still in pod, uh, listening to podcasts every day, always on YouTube. I like to actually learn to provide content. So that's a big thing that inspires me is that I like to make content because I like to learn you know, prior, whether it's my experiences or just reading that week. So I'm always learning. Yeah, I'm always learning. So I could have been like in school forever. So I really didn't mind the years of it. But uh, it certainly was good to start making money. Absolutely. Because you do intern for yeah. free for a couple years. <laughs> I, did, I heard that. about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So would you, would you, looking back, would you actually recommend someone to take a core, like to take the career of being a psychologist or like, cause you know, you have a different vantage point now than you did then. Cause you said you know, yourself. Uh huh. Go ahead. I no, do, go ahead. I have um I have a lot of people that ask me about that career. Like they they find it fascinating and they're not wrong, um because you're constantly helping other people, but but during the process you're really growing, you know, within and you're really developing yourself. And if you're not constantly working on self development, you can feel it in your practice. You can feel it in the work with clients. Oh. Like I constantly want to make myself as centered as possible, as educated as possible. They help, they inspire me to continue growing because they can feel it. They can feel when your energy is off. Like it's just, you have to, it's kind of like a massage therapist as far as energy. Like people can really feel when you're off. So you have to constantly work on your self-care, constantly educate yourself. So for those reasons and the fact that you can change uh, niche you know, anytime you want, um, as long as you do the study, the research on it, for those reasons, I think it's extremely, um, extremely beneficial to yourself to be in that career because you can constantly work on self-development. I mean, yeah, you know, it's a little, it's a little known secret of mine for anyone who's close to me that I actually had considered that for a long time. Problem was, I'm not surprised. I, I didn't go to school. I didn't go to school only because it's like this long chain of like how hard it was to even try to get totally. financial aid. And yeah. so at, at some point I was like, I'm either going to continue struggling, trying to get the office to help me go to school or I can yep. just get a job and figure it out. But it's yeah. never left my mind, uh, including um, reading work on like Adlerian psychology is huge for me. Oh, um, that's excellent. Love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's a little different because, because most of what he did wasn't, uh, documented. It was like, you know, it was very loose. It wasn't formulaic. Yeah. yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. And, and to be honest, I have a few friends who are in the field, but I never see them. They're always so busy. So do do you spend a majority of your time working or do you, do you actually get a lot of downtime? Um, I don't. So the thing is with people, I think in this realm, especially if they like, like, like you, like you probably, you like business and you like psychology for people like us. I don't think that there's a lot of downtime really, because you're always actively learning. Like in your off time, you're either creating content or you're learning about something new and you're not, you're doing that. That's your fun time. So I had actually had a mentor back in the day and they asked her, how do you do the media stuff and do psychology and teach, do all these things? She said, this is back in the day, but she said, I never kick it which is so interesting. Like, not that that's the healthiest, but she, she does relax. You know what I mean? But what she means is, is that she uses her downtime to educate herself, add value to others, build content, build relationships, network, fly around the world, you know, to, to learn about herself and about other people. So she never kicks it. And then I, I can understand that because in my downtime, I'm trying to do the same thing, stimulate my mind, you know, figure out what kind of value I can add and do creative projects whatever that is. And that typically just falls in the category of like trying to inspire other people to live their best lives. Yeah. I mean, from what I know, even psychology can, can break into marketing and other things because it's, it's really, you know, sales. I mean, you name it, it really can go. I'm an internet marketing nerd. So like when I'm driving to work, 
Because you have to, you can't just learn about psychology all day, although psychology is infused in everything. And it's certainly infused in marketing. But like, I'm a definite internet marketing nerd. Like, I love like Facebook advertising and Gary V and just everything. Yeah. Like I'm into all of it. Um, and I, and I do, obviously there's psych weaved into it. And I like to like pull those things out when I'm listening, but yeah, you have to stay, you have to stay uh, in street. It sounds like there's a lot of flexibility, uh, having a career as a psychologist, if you do it right. Yeah, I don't, um, I'm not a big fan of, um, people, like people know me, um, that I'm not really into authority. So I, I pretty much have to do my own thing. <laughs> and my parents were the same way. Like they were business owners. So I'm just used to like, take it on, get it done yourself. You know I struggle I mean? with the same thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the rest. Yeah, so because I've listened to a couple episodes, um, it, but it's a good thing. You you want to have your own business. You want to you know empower yourself. And if you don't, at least you have a position where you're respected. And so when yeah. you're coming to the table with new ideas, you're feeling like you are autonomous in a sense. You feel like your ideas, your creative ideas, are heard. Like say, if you're like a rehab director or, or a residential director, or whatever. And that's gonna kind of the same feeling is that you're able to be creative and that people are respecting your ideas. So whether we're entrepreneurs or we're just like, or we're directors or whatever it is, same sentiment is that we're kind of being able to take charge in our like own way. You're mapping my something. mind. Yeah, no, oh. <laughs> no, I get it. Um, I actually, I'm curious, you know, um, given, given the way that, that the world has turned, do you find that there's a trend with more and more people who turn to you speaking about their mental health and how troubling it is to have to be indoors all day these days? You know, they really do. And um, it's, gosh, it's CEOs, it's attorneys. I mean, there's not, I, there's so many different um, worlds of people that I've talked to. And, and a lot of them were, aren't even my clients. But um, what is good for everybody to know is that there's been absolute irritability across the board. That's, I think, a daily task. You have to take that one. You really do have to take a day at a time because it's so easy to be irritable now. Um, Some people are are walking around and they'll tell me that they feel kind of half dead or zombie-like. They feel like the world, their worldview has shifted. And, you know, it's so interesting. Like something that I read about the Holocaust back in the day is that the, the ones that survived were really the ones that were mentally resilient. And they would say, like, you can't take my mind from me. That's the one thing you can't take. And as much as that's tough to do and our environment challenges us, I really live by that because nobody can take my peace from me. And it's my job to work at it every day, despite what's going on in the environment. So it's almost like we have to be soldiers, like training our brain, like, hey, we need to be in the moment. We need to do everything we can for self-care, not not neglect it. You know, keep learning, keep reading, build that resiliency. And it feels like work, but can also be a lot of fun. A lot of being in the moment is being fun. Like I was driving down um, back to my house today and my shoulders were tense and I was like rushing and I was excited. Like I was rushing to do whatever I needed to do, but I was like, be in the moment, relax your shoulders, enjoy the music. Like you need to be in the moment because this is our life and we have to really enjoy and take whatever we can from it. Um, Not overly, you know, satiated, but we need to really be in the moment um, while still being obviously, you know, cognizant of what we need to do. Wow, that reminds me of uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. and, and Exactly. Sort of, yeah, 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 exactly. Speaks exactly. to that moment. Uh, yes. And I remember, exactly. yeah, it talks about how all these soldiers might be uh, more uh, more liberated than I am, but they don't have right. more freedom because mentally right. he already saw himself teaching the classes that he did eventually go on to teach. That's very so brilliant. Yep, you I'm so you glad you it. reminded me of that because, I, you know, I, I do feel... Part of the reason I left New York was because you had to spend a lot of time indoors in the winter. Yeah. And I'm not an outdoorsy person, but I love walking through the city, going to a cafe. You know, it's just, just 
you know? So being indoors, even for myself, has definitely impacted the way I feel about things. Um, And I know that it's also affected people's relationships. And given the book that you wrote, uh, How to Get Your Ex Back and things of that nature, there's probably people (laughs) right now regretting that they broke up or, you know, (laughs) not regretting it, but also unhappy that they can't go find someone else. Um, Completely, yeah. do, Do you have any two cents on people on how they can change the way they view that? That's so funny. Like um, second to irritability, what I'm seeing is people reaching out to people from their past. And for two reasons. One, because they have kind of like, they're taking kind of a more meta look on their life and they, they're looking for meaning and purpose. So who's important? Let me go ahead and touch base and see if should I reintegrate this person into my life? And that's really cool. The other reason is that they may not want exposure to new people, especially if they're single. But even if they're having relational issues, it's not atypical for people in relationships to revisit emotionally. And that doesn't mean they have to have an emotional affair, but they're going to revisit mentally, like who's from their past during this time. Why? Because maybe they're not as stimulated by their environment. And obviously don't, they feel less free, you know, especially during, you know, the super quarantine period of time. But yes, what I'm seeing is that people are reaching out to their exes more often. And that has been across the board. And it's funny because I started writing this before quarantine. And then wow. when that hit, it was like, wow, this is really pervasive. Like, this is something that is happening across the board. Um, and to normalize it a little bit, it's not its not abnormal, like I said, to think about your ex. But you really want to obviously do enough for yourself so that you know that you're making the right choice to revisit that and that you're making the right choice to actually consider it, especially if you were the one taken for granted. Oh, right. Right. And and there's probably people in a relationship right now taking each other for granted, having to be 100 percent. Definitely. They really no, they really do. They do. And there's been a lot of beauty that's come out of this time, too, because they some have been forced to make good out of it, which has been cool. Some baby making has happened. Um, yeah. People have had kids during this time. It was really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, people take each other for granted and they even do it when they're about to break up with someone. And that's why I ask if you're going to break up with someone, make sure you're thinking it, like three months out. You know, right now that person is really into you and, and you feel like you're bored of the situation or they're annoying or they're too needy, whatever it is. But make sure that you're actually projecting into the future before you make the decision. Because what I'm seeing is a lot of times people who do break up with that person, if the other person was a good person, will not be prepared for that new frame of reference of that person moving on. And that's why when I start working with people who, where their ex uh, broke up with them, the ex starts getting confused and actually gets back into their emotions and sometimes feels it. There's so many different reasons for breakup. Sometimes it really was meant to be. But what I'm saying is that if the, per- the people are generally good people and they're still attracted to each other, there is a chance for the person that dumped the other person to start regretting it. And that only happens when there's a scarcity effect, which means the person takes themselves out of initiating contact and actually works extremely hard on themselves and their goals. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the past, I've been there. I know exactly what you're talking about. That <laughs> yeah, we all have for sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If you if you've lived long enough, you've definitely been there. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And it's definitely. cool that you get to. It's cool that you get to uh, interact with people and help pull them through these times right now because um, that's got to be rewarding. This is especially the time more than ever when people are talking about mental health. I mean, it really wasn't until yeah. last year, I think, that I really started seeing a trend of hashtag mental health. Yeah. Yeah. You know, TikTok, TikTok's been really good for that. Uh, mental, mental health awareness campaigns have been really good for that. 
Um, I was just on a BetterHelp campaign. That was really cool. A lot of therapists getting involved with that piece. But um, Gen Z is really incredible. I have to say shout out to Gen Z because they are so open. I actually find them to be very empathic for the most part. Um, very positive on comments, things like that. But they're extremely open-minded as far as um, therapy and self-development are concerned. Like people like us that are into business, we kind of always like dove in, we dove into the self-development stuff early on. But but these kids are like they're open-minded to it all day long. Like whether it's business or psych. Mm, yeah, millennials across the board don't really have that openness, and I think it has a lot to do with just the prior generations' trends that were set up prior. You know, uh, you can't really. There's you got to take responsibility for your life to some degree, you know, but there are factors <laughs> that, that that influence you. It's not like uh, Michael Singer's uh, The Untethered Soul. I don't know if you've ever read uh-huh. that book, but it talks about, you know, Very the voice good. inside your head and this and that. Yeah. And yeah, some would say we do have to take responsibility for our lives. But there are some things structurally that were set up that I think uh, make millennials the crybabies that everybody sees them to be. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess that's why I'm glad that everyone's integrating on social media so that especially especially that platform in particular, because they're all able to influence and inspire each other now. And I I do think it's really important to have uh, cross generational um, impacts on each other that way, where it's still like cool and vibey and what have you. Um, But going back, going back to breakups um, for a second, it's so funny because I worked in substance use and eating disorders. And if I wanted to talk about something online, I certainly could talk about like mood disorders, psychosis, you know, self-help as far as just psychology, mental health is concerned. But this was extremely underrated for me. Like I saw maybe one or two therapists on YouTube talking about it, not any on TikTok at the time when I started, but it's underrated. So it seems like it's gimmicky or like, I feel like sometimes like, you know, why are we talking about this all the time? But whenever I ask myself that I get the answers and it's basically that people are severely depressed a lot of times and extremely anxious to the point where it actually causes physiological symptoms like GI issues. It's really, it's really important to not underestimate the severity of, of a breakup. And that's why I felt like it was actually a real clinical issue that I didn't think was talked about enough with psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, et cetera. And I'm, and I hope that that's something that expands over the years. Wow. That's kind of profound. I think you're right. Uh, it is something that's glossed over and it's looked at as sort of a, a growing pains coming of age, mm-hmm. sort of a, rite, mm-hmm. a, rite of, a rite of passage, if you will. Mm-hmm. But, and we uh, should just get over it. We should yeah. get over it. We should self-medicate. We should just go on to another person, whatever it is. And all that stuff is the opposite of what you, what you need to be doing. There's so much. There's a lot. There's a lot of articles and a lot of things because, you know, I did yeah. do my own research when I was kind of going through it. And eventually nice. I just had to go through it myself. And it wasn't yeah. until I got to a place where I was OK with like, you know what? I just need to learn how to be alone again. Yeah, you know, it wasn't it. until I got there in my head. That mm-hmm. then I was able to get back into a place where I could reintegrate people into my life. It's so funny. And you know what I talk about? I'm talking mostly to Gen Z people, but like, you know, I'm talking to adults as well, but there's a trickery to it. And it's not um, maladaptive. It's not um, malintended. It's actually a trickery for the good, which is how do you get your ex back? Well, the trick is you go within, you work on self-development, you do catharsis, you do the emotional healing. And what happens a lot of times you actually increase your chances of someone wanting to be interested, wanting to be curious again. So I get to talk about getting an ex back from the standpoint of really, this is my doorway in for you to do self-development in whatever capacity that is. So that's what's, that's what's kind of cool about it. 
Ah, I see what you're saying. So because <laughs> your, your overarching goal in practice is to get people to work on themselves because it's the philosophy you live by. Correct. And it just so happens that an opportunity like a breakup is the perfect opportunity to yes, invite. Sorry about that. I think I hear something in the background here. Uh, but breakups are the perfect opportunity to invite someone into yeah. self-development. And it's a pain point, you know, about pain points in business, yeah. but it's a, yeah, it's yeah. a pain point for people. They want to, they want to talk to you immediately. So it's like, this is great. I want to talk about this. This is actually stimulating to me. So if you're going to come to me from wherever in the world that you are, it's something that I want to be talking about. You know, sometimes we can get burned down on just talking about depression. And that's why I keep my therapy clients pretty much the ones that I've had, because now we get to move on to different realms once they get better. You know, um, we get to talk about career goals and things like that and go to the next level. And I think that I've always been more interested in like the career yeah, coaching yeah. type aspect, a little bit of relationship. I didn't realize I was so into the relationship piece until recently, but more like career coaching, um, people finding their meaning and purpose, things like that. To me, that's really fascinating. Um, so yeah, that that's why to I my, kind of like, yeah, that yeah. brings me to the next point. Is it, is there a specific, is there like a shorter path? to becoming a clinical psychologist that most people don't know about? Yeah. Like looking back on it, you might've gone, you know, left, right, up, down before you finally found yeah. the way over. Definitely. There is definitely a shorter path. Um, there are a couple things you can do. You can be a marriage family therapist where when you do your internship, so you're, you're not doctoral level there. However, you can add on a doctoral degree and there are some online PsyD degrees. Um, just depends if you want to be licensed in that. If you end up not wanting to be licensed, then that's just an extra two years on online. Mine took the licensure, so that obviously takes longer. If you got licensed in marriage family therapy, that is a shorter path than becoming a psychologist. And I'll tell you what, they're extremely respected in the field. Uh, relationships, in rehabs, there are a lot of directors that are MFTs. So MFT is a serious um, consideration, and it is also more affordable. So it's a more affordable path to be an MFT than a psychologist. Um, for psychologists, you really have to pursue licensure um, to be a psychologist. So you, you, you get your bachelor's in psychology. That's four years. And then the minimum after that is four more years. So that would be a master's doctoral combined. That's four years. Now, that's a fast track um, to do it that way. If you need a PhD, that's five years. Yeah. So that's a fast track. That's a fastest track for psychologists is eight years of school. And then about, about a year, year and a half of post training before you get licensed. Okay. Um, yeah. And then that, that year and a half post is paid, but two, two to three years before you get out of school is unpaid part-time internship. Before so you get out of school, really, right. I, I mean, I was an entrepreneur luckily, so I didn't mind it, but yeah, I mean, you're not gonna, you can't work full time while you're while you're doing doctoral. You have to at least maybe be yeah, an entrepreneur. No. So that's cool. Or just get so a loan. They, they get loans too. I mean, and they pay off. I'm not gonna say. I will say this: this career does pay off. So for many reasons, I do recommend it when people ask me. It's not like uh, people who end up getting a law degree, but then they don't. They realize in LA and New York, there's so many lawyers that. Ooh. I didn't really realize your... that. I mean, I deal with attorneys, but we don't. We don't really talk money like that usually. Um, once in a while, but, but yeah, that's so true. It's so over, oversaturated. There's always it's a way. not the same with psychology degrees. Is there so many in LA and New York? I mean, I have to say like, I'd like the word, so I'll use the word. I think like I'm more of a hustler, like as far as like, I'm a business hustler. So like, I'm you not going see to see the competition. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't believe in scarcity mindset. I believe there's always an angle. There's always a way 
to make more money as long as you're adding value and you're doing it with a lot of integrity. I don't know mm. about doing it with a lack of integrity. I think that's a short-term game, but being a psychologist, not a lot of ways to be shady really anyway. So that's nice. Yeah. But yes, I feel like I, I'm a hustler. So I can't really speak to like, you have to have a grind about you. You have to be willing to work um, harder. That doesn't, you can also work smarter. You can definitely work from home. You can have people work under you with your license, which is nice. There's a lot of ways to actually like um, work the system, basically, which is all obviously ethical and, and legal and above, right. above board. Right. Okay. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, because I do know that uh, there are some people who complain that like, uh, and, and this is uh, on, the, on the consumer side, that sometimes yeah. they don't believe the psychologist is actually out to help them. They want to run the clock. And I know that a lot of people actually, you know, there have been terrible experiences, but it sounds like you get, you want to get people out of that realm feeling bad as soon as possible to then focus on better things because even for yourself you don't see any point in keeping someone there that's so cool that you picked up on that do you know where that came from well i mean it came from like i've always had a lot of empathy despite like being business-minded like i have like i'm too nice sometimes obviously that's been like a a thing i've had to work on in my life um but yeah like i was a yeah, it's a good problem. I call them nice people problems. I actually only like to work with people with nice people problems. People have been dumped or people don't need to work on a career. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, but I was a, a personal trainer when I was working my way through school. And I believed that I did not want them to be dependent on me. What I wanted and what, what actually the research shows is more effective is to teach them how to train. And I wanted to make sure that they were not A-motivated, so they were motivated on their own intrinsically, meaning it felt good to train not because someone's saying, yay, go ahead, do two more. I wanted them to learn how to train their body at minimum and also be motivated. And I did some research about exercise motivation back in the day. But like, that's the same thing with therapy. I don't want them to be dependent on me. I will be there for them. And I'll try to be there for, with, for them for almost life or hopefully life. But that's not the goal for me. The goal is that they learn so much about themselves and they have so many tools that, that I, am, I am just another resource for them. You know, and the quicker they feel better, the better I feel like they are. Uh, they are, so they're not so dependent. I'm not going to create a codependent yeah. relationship. There's a there, I, something. Something was just triggered where you spoke about the difference between a a, um, a motivation and intrinsic motivation. And mm-hmm. how do you how do you spot that? If because you know, right now, given given the quarantine and everybody at home and you know indoors, it's probably hard to find motivation for a lot of people. And uh, this is a time when all those external forces that used to keep you going, oh, it's my coworkers, this or this, that, they're probably not around anymore. So how, how do you, what, what's one way someone can tell the difference between the fact that they've been amotivated or intrinsically motivated and how can they get to one or the other? Yeah. So when you are, it's like when you're little, when you're, when you're intrinsically motivated, you feel good inside by getting a good grade or by, you know, doing practice that day for, for a sport. Like you feel it now. Does it have to be usually like preempted by a, by a parents saying, good job. Like you did good, you know, or maybe a coach or whoever's around you. Absolutely. That's how we can develop it. Um, but you know, money can be a way to be like, you know, extrinsically motivated, um, a partner that just happens to be positive, that partner for the moment, you know, can motivate you for that moment or something brief, you know, like a vacation, something like that. And that's fine. We use those kind of as a fuel. And I like those a lot, especially if it's um, um, quarterly, like research shows that if you're going on a, if you're going on a vacation, like every three months, that's actually enough to like fuel the motivation <laughs> to keep oh. going. So it's really nice to like to plan something every two to three months actually is what the studies showed. So 
how do we do that? We just basically want to be able to feel like we want to do it, but it's also going back to that resilience and thing that we talked about earlier. If you feel like the world is shifted and that there's no hope, there's no way you're going to be intrinsically motivated. That's why the first step, the first step is to do little things to feel the sunshine again, you know? And I mean that figuratively, like little things like, like maybe you needed to get a car wash that day, or maybe you needed to get your nails on that day, or maybe you needed to read an entire book or whatever you need to do to feel like there's hope that like things are possible. You don't have to be stagnant, that your environment doesn't have to shape you. You are free. That's where you start. And then you do the little things like self-care to start putting you in that momentum, that space to want to take care of yourself or your, your mental health or your physical health, physical health, what have you. That's cool. I think that's going to be the name of this episode. The first step is sunshine, you know, because it's true. Of that. Uh, it's so it's true. not overly positive, but I, I can see how you ha- first have to be in the right state of mind before yeah. anything else can be accomplished because otherwise your mind won't allow you to accomplish anything. Yeah. And sometimes like, like after a breakup, let's say people will get into like a, a boot camp situation and even that routine can help them as well. And in that case, you're using extrinsic motivation because you've got a, a trainer and you've got a friend that's motivating you. Hey, let's go do this. Now that physiological shift and that routine shift can be enough to, to kick in an antidepressant effect. And you might actually need that to see a little bit of sunshine because that core wash and those nails aren't going to be enough. So now yeah. you need like physiological shift is going to shift the psychological piece. So you just have to always think and work at it. Like, what do I need today that's different? And psychologists are doing that with themselves every day. Hopefully, you know, at least weekly they are. I know that for sure. Practicing what they preach, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because exercise, yeah, I forget. That's an antidepressant, right? So, and yeah. people aren't, a lot of people aren't doing more exercise. You know, there are some who are kicking butt and yeah. living their best life. This was the opportunity they were waiting for. <laughs> they said, else. did you hear, did you hear that the uh, the wealthy are actually getting in the best shape? Yeah. And then the people with the lower socioeconomic status are getting in worse shape. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's across the board, but that was what the study showed. Yeah, and it just shows like, but that's all mind frame. Like, yes, they have a lot more time or they don't actually. That can right. be a misconception also. But there's a different mindset. There's like we mindset, talk about self-development. Yeah. yeah, it's a different mindset. It's like, I'm going to extract the most I can from this period. And that's obnoxious to hear it, but that's how they feel. And I watch it and I work with people like this and that's how they feel about life. I'm going to extract the most out of this day. You know, no matter what the hell is going on in my environment, I'm going to extract the most. And I feel, I feel like, you know, I, the reason why mo- uh, the wealthy people could in general have, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They have less mental blocks, less mental traumas. And I'm not saying they don't have any problems in their lives, right? Uh, if, they, if they grew up affluent, I can see how certain mindsets and uh, through osmosis of being with parents who probably lead in that fashion might have benefited them. Whereas people who come from a lower socioeconomic status may be... Uh, may find themselves dealing with just overcoming, even trying to make it through the day as a regular person. You know what I mean? And so that exercise is even more important for people like that during a time right now. Would would you say that that's fair? That's fair. I mean, like if you go to like addiction, things like that, which sometimes a lot of times it's rooted in, in trauma or in mood instability, but they say like lower SES, really, really low socioeconomic status and really high SES, which is what I've worked with in the past are very big factors in abusing substances. So where I think the sweet spot is the working lower class, which is based on research, the working lower class, middle class, and a little bit with the upper middle class. And again, these are just generalizations and they are based on research, but they're a little bit more protective because 
they know that they need to work to get something. And that's why it's really nice to work with CEOs that way too, that have really made something out of their either middle-class life or working lower-class life. It's fun to watch. I think Grant Cardone is one of those people. Mm -hmm. Um, But they really work themselves into these situations. And in that case, every day they want to get rid of the mental blocks. So these are the people that are going to be willing to do like uh, trauma therapy or do whatever they need to do to get rid of it. So I didn't know, like, for instance, actors were so cerebral so hardworking. I didn't know that till like my, my late twenties when I started working with them, I had no clue. So all these people that are like self-made millionaires, actors, musicians, like they worked their asses off. I did not know this, but they really had to make something Well, they wanted to, and they were driven, but they were willing to work on the mental blocks. Like you said, on a daily or weekly basis to get there. Mm. Cause there's a lot of rejection in, in both of those realms. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, so Daily mental work. You're right. You know, sometimes I forget and I and I get caught up myself. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you do to keep yourself sharp? I, aside from obviously reading a book or this or that, how do you spot when you might have fallen off? Is it when it no longer crosses your mind and that's the trick? Or what do you do to stay sharp, to remember or remind yourself? Because I've tried putting things on the wall, on the door. I don't look at those things. I think that when you look at like what you believe in, and if you believe in being the kindest version of yourself with boundaries, of course, like you really, if you really have that belief and it's like solid, um, like I had an instance this week where I was like, you know, I'm thinking too much about what someone might be thinking and that that Mm. person might be in a negative space. And I was allowing that to kind of affect me. So what I did was I shifted my physiology. I stood up really straight and I, I did some breathing and I, and I just thought good things about them. And really, I've noticed like the the more, I mean, we know this, but the more we think good about other people, like the better we feel about ourselves. And I really feel like this is under practice, underutilized and thinking the best out of someone with boundaries, of course, doesn't mean we have to be all in their business or intrusive. It just means we need to think the best of people and not assume the worst. Um, that makes us feel good. So shifting our physiology, feeling confident that way, doing the best we can to make sure we're in a very positive state. And again, I go back to like massage therapists. They really do do this every time they're going to give a massage. They like, they do their deep breathing. They get really centered. They know that they have to be positive. That's not going to be a good experience for these people. Their touch, their pressure, all of that is affected. So it's a, it's the same thing for us. If we're going to go into a room, we need to make sure that we're our best version of ourselves. And we're not thinking about what that other person's thinking as far as the negative side. Assume the best. And if they're thinking something negative, my therapist back in the day told me that's none of your business, what other people think. I do not have to be a people pleaser. And how freeing is that? It's like, I just get to be the best version of myself or try to be. That's all I, I get to do. And that's all I need to do. Okay. And I, I want to close it out with one last question before I roll out the red carpet for you to drop and promote whatever you want to promote is uh, there's a stigma behind like, oh, I need to get a therapist or I need to have some professional help with someone because of my mental state. Uh, what would you say to people who have been on the fence about finding, you know, hiring or applying to get some help and to be seen and, and heard? Uh, what, what, would, what advice do you have to offer to make it okay? Because there are a lot of people out there who are just embarrassed that they feel like they can't do it on their own and they think there's something wrong with them. And there might be. There might be a learning deficiency. There, there might be ADHD. Uh, there might be chronic depression, who knows, but they shouldn't self-diagnose, right? 
Yeah, a couple of things. One thing is you don't have to focus on pathology, meaning you don't have to focus on what's wrong with you. You don't even have to talk about your past. You get to choose and you get to dictate your therapy. The therapist is simply the vehicle for you. So if that's not a fit for you, that therapist, there is another one out there. That's why I always say ask for two from your insurance company or when you're going online and interview them on the phone. They want to be a good fit for you, just like you want them to be a good fit the other way around. So what you want to do is ask for a couple and also know this, you can work on your present goals, your future goals. Therapy can be fun. And that can be a roadmap into working on stuff from the past, but it doesn't have to be. You can definitely make it about the present and future. And if you're really more into that, if you're more inclined to working on present goals, future goals, then you can look for a a therapist that specializes in CBT. That's cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT is really about that. So again, you can ask for a couple of them. You can work on your own personal goals. You can, you can utilize the therapist just to vent about what you're going through. And I'm telling you, like everybody needs a therapist. And if they don't, at least try it. At least try it for a couple of months. And just to simply vent or work on your goals, it's only going to make you better. And it's only going to make your relationships better. But yeah, I like to, I like to utilize a therapist for self-development if you're not into it or you feel like there's a stigma. That's huge. That's huge. Well, uh, Kim, thank you for coming to the to the show. I, the red thank carpet's you. out for you if there's anything you want to promote. Yeah, well, first I'd like to say, if you guys are interested in becoming a psychologist, um, I would say you're going, you're going to feel fulfilled. It is going to be what you make of it. And you definitely won't be bored. So I, I definitely... Um, I definitely encourage anyone that wants to be a psychologist or a therapist to do that. And I don't regret a day of the work. Um, But yeah, if you want to learn more about uh, breakups, you can get my book, uh, Get Your Ex Back or Get Over Them for Good, Breakup Recovery on Amazon. Also have a book out called Peak Mindset. And that's more of what we talked about earlier, just about meaning and purpose and using sports psychology to go for your dreams. Awesome. Kim, thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to the next time we get to chat uh, on whatever platform or whatever that may be in whatever okay. capacity that might be. Uh, I'm it. very grateful that you came onto the show. You taught me a lot about the path uh, to get to psychology and yeah. um, uh, a, a psychology licensure and also like some tips and tricks for how to get the mindset right. And especially during this quarantine time. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Bella. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Blueprint. I hope it was helpful. And as always, I'm open to feedback. Please follow our guest where they directed you to. And also connect with me on LinkedIn. Or you can even get more personal and connect with me on Instagram. Either way, let's network. Let's build. And let me know who else you'd like to hear about. What other industries and professions you're interested in.